take your Bible and look with me in Acts chapter 4 this morning, verses 8 through 12. Last week I talked about reclaiming the definition of the gospel. It's important. If the gospel is defined in every way, then you really don't have the gospel. We must understand that at the heart of the gospel is what God has accomplished for sinners in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that he died for our sins and was buried and rose again the third day according to the scripture. This morning I want to talk about the exclusivity of the gospel or the exclusive gospel. I was thinking I could also have called it the inclusive gospel. You know, it, it, it depends on how you think about Jesus Christ. If you don't like him, then you see it as, you know, him trying to keep you out as exclusive. But actually, the, the gospel is inclusive for all who believe. It is exclusive for those who don't believe. But I'm going to take the vantage point of those who are against the gospel this morning that we need to reclaim the belief that there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm talking about reclaiming not only the gospel but evangelism. But if we don't reclaim the exclusive nature of the gospel, we will never be good evangelists if we will be evangelists at all. If you do not believe that Jesus is the only way and that all men are lost and eternally damned without him, then you will not be a good evangelist. Listen to our text this morning as I begin in verse 8 of chapter 4. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If you do any evangelism at all or identify as a Christian at all, then you know that the idea... The claim that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven has never been received well by those who do not believe the Bible. And today, especially in the world we're living in, a pluralistic world where the intent is to make us tolerant of everything. And by tolerant, they don't simply mean that other beliefs, even though they are wrong, have the right to exist. We do believe that. But by tolerant, they mean that all beliefs are on the same level, that all beliefs are equal. And unfortunately, that's the world that we're living in today. And so when you make the claim 
that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. And when you reject what liberal Protestants have espoused for years, that as J.I. Packer put it, many believe there is in all religion a common essence, that all adherents of all faiths are climbing the same mountain and will meet at the top, that the ideal Christianity would include insights taken from non-Christian religions and would in that sense be more than Christianity and that the missionary task is to enrich indigenous faiths with Christian insights rather than to call all those faiths in question in any fundamental way. J.I. Packer said this is the so-called Christian world we live in today that there is no sense of the exclusive claim of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And it appears that the human mind is more comfortable with the thought that sincere religious people, good people, that your good grandfather, that that nice man, that that kind woman, that that generous person should ever go to hell because they're good. Our mind somehow wants to reject the idea that people can only come to God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We would like to re rewrite the Bible sometimes. When the Philippian jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? We think that Paul should have said, be diligent in your present religion, whatever that may be. Just be good, do your best, try hard. Many Christians do not want to face the wrath of the world that they're living in, the criticism of theological progressives and liberals who want to say that there are many ways to God, choose one. We know that biblical Christianity is being hated more and more. Not just simply Christians, but Christians who believe the authority of Scripture. Christians who believe the moral, sexual standards of Scripture. Christians who believe that Jesus Christ is the only Savior and is Lord over all. Christians who believe that everyone who does not come to Christ will be consistent signed to eternal punishment. These ideas are arcane. They are obsolete. And if you believe them today, you are not intellectual. You are uneducated. You are a hillbilly. But if you reject the Bible's teaching that Jesus Christ is the only way, then you essentially reject all of Christian doc doctrine. As Ron Blue, a missiologist, has pointed out, if you reject the exclusive claim of Christ, then you are questioning what the Bible teaches about God, that God is just. And when you say, no, Jesus can't be the only way, then you're saying then, 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 then God's not fair. 
to exclude others. And so you undercut, you reject the doctrine of God as taught in scripture. If you say that Jesus Christ is the only way, then you are rejecting the doctrine of Christ. If you say he's not the only way, then you're saying that his work is not sufficient for all who believe. If you say that Jesus is not the only way, then you challenge the doctrine of salvation. You challenge the doctrine of man, that all men are so inherently sinful that they need a savior. You challenge and reject the doctrine of sin. You challenge and reject the doctrine of the church because the mission of the church is to proclaim that Jesus Christ is the only way. You reject the teaching of eschatology that God will consummate all things in the person of Jesus Christ, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And certainly, if you reject that Jesus is the only way, you reject the doctrine of Scripture. You deny the authority of the Word of God. Are all religions basically the same? No. Is there a second chance after death? No. Does God reward the apparent sincerity of those who don't know him? No, he does not. Our text taken at face value is clear and simple. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And if that's true, then that means there are multiple millions in this world who have never heard the name of Jesus. There are billions who, even though they may have heard the name of Jesus, do not understand the exclusive claim that Jesus Christ alone is Savior and Lord. One of the failures of modern Christianity is that sometimes Christians are known more for their good works than for the work of God in Jesus Christ. The modern missionary movement, known for its hospitals and its humanitarian work and its feeding of the poor, all of which is good, but sometimes and often at the expense of proclaiming that Jesus Christ alone is Savior and Lord. In many places of the world, Christianity is simply syncretized with the existing beliefs that are there. Certainly this is true in Haiti, where much of Christianity is syncretized with voodooism. It's true in much of Africa where, where Christianity is syncretized with animism and other beliefs. In Latin America where it's syncretized with pagan idolatry and mysticism. Throughout the world there is a Christian presence but there is a confused Christian presence because the exclusive claim that Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord has been lost. Peter says, I want you to know 
that what took place here, and if you read earlier in the act in the chapter of Acts chapter 4, there was the healing of a crippled beggar. And there was no problem. The religious crowd had no problem with this good deed of healing this uh, crippled beggar. But after the healing, they were outraged, not because the man was healed, but in verse 2 of chapter 4, it said the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You can do all the good works you want, the world will love you. But it's this claim that it's in Jesus Christ alone you have salvation. Our text is calling us to advance and proclaim the name of Jesus Christ as the only way of salvation. And I want to argue why we should do that from our text for, with three reasons. First of all, because of who he is, his unique person. Secondly, because of this unique plan that God set before the foundation of the world to center everything in the person and work of Christ. And then thirdly, because of the Savior power that alone is in the name of Jesus Christ. He's a unique person. We saw that last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when Paul referred to Christ died for our sins. And he brought our attention to this one who is the Messiah whose, whose life and ministry and, and, and work were rooted in, in, in the Old Testament. But here he identifies him using the name Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now I've thought about that. Jesus spent most of his life growing up in Nazareth. If he began his ministry at about the age of 30, then, and he born in Bethlehem, went to Egypt to escape Herod, perhaps left there about two years old, and then went to Nazareth and was raised in the house of a carpenter. And we know very little about that. We know the one instance when he was 12 years old in the temple, but uh, what do we know about Jesus of Nazareth? Well, we know from other texts that this Jesus of Nazareth was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. This just didn't begin when he was baptized and the father spoke and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus spent 30 years being a perfect Jew, living in perfect obedience to the law. He was the perfect man in human flesh. Jesus of Nazareth, there were other Jesuses, a common name, Joshua, same name, Jesus. Hosea is a derivative of the name Jesus. It was a common name. There was probably a Jesus of Capernaum and a Jesus, many Jesuses of Jerusalem. But Jesus of Nazareth, 
probably known, even though the Bible says nothing uh, about specifics, it just generalizes and tells us that Jesus Christ lived a perfectly holy life. Now, if you lived in Nazareth, I think you might have known Jesus. You probably thought him peculiar because of his obedience, because of his tenacity in wanting to follow God for his love for God, that he epitomized obedience. He loved God with all of his heart and soul and mind and strength, and he loved others. You couldn't mistake this Jesus of Nazareth, this real man in real flesh, this real Jew who was living such an unusual life. I sort of wonder if when Jesus was baptized and that voice from heaven was heard which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I wonder if there's anyone that stood there and said, well, if anybody could be the son of God, it would be Jesus of Nazareth. Because no one, there was no teenager like him. There was no junior high kid like him. There was no young adolescent. There was no young single who lived such an absolutely impeccable, pure and perfect life. He's a real man who's in his incarnation gives us assurance that God identifies with humanity. Jesus of Nazareth, the place of his childhood, raised in the house of Joseph, a, con a car carpenter's son, Contrary to the Gnostic view of many in the first and, first and second century, Jesus was not simply an apparition. He was a real man who lived a life, somewhat normal life, but an extraordinary life in Nazareth. Of course, the Gnostics said that God would never become part of physical creation because they believed that all of creation, all of matter, physical stuff is evil and that Jesus only appeared to be a person, but he was not truly human. I remember Rolando's messages on 1 John where he very adequately and eloquently uh, uh, did away with that false view of Gnosticism. Jesus identified us with true, perfect humanity. He never participated in our sinfulness, but he did participate in our humanness. And yet Peter could say he was always holy and harmless. That he who did no sin was made sin for us. His crucifixion gives us assurance that God provides redemption for us. He wants them to know that this one who you crucified was... Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He was a real man, known of many, a, a 
truly human being who was crucified. And this is necessary because it was humans who rebelled and sinned and failed to obey the law of God. It was humans that were, that were under the curse of the law and the penalty of death. The savior of mankind must be truly human for he must live under the law. He must perfectly obey the law and then he must be willing to die a death that he does not deserve but that all others deserve. And this is what Paul understood in Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, made under the law to redeem those that were under the law. He was truly human and that was necessary for him to be truly human so that he could be crucified as a man. To a rebellious heart, this is repugnant. The idea that I'm bad enough, that I'm evil enough, that a good person, a perfect person must die in my place. This is repulsive to the human depraved heart. Again, it was early in church history that the Gnostics, along with denying the humanity of Christ, consequently denied the possibility of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. One author, Luke Wayne, points out that, that the late second century Christian writer Irenaeus wrote about the teachings of a Gnostic leader called Basilides. Listen to what Basilides said about Jesus. He did not himself suffer death, but Simon... A certain man of Cyrene, being compelled, bore the cross in his stead, so that this latter, Simon, being transfigured by him, that he might be thought to be Jesus, was crucified through ignorance and error, while Jesus himself received the form of Simon, and standing by, he laughed at them. For since he was an incorporeal power without body and the mind of the unborn father, that's how Gnostic viewed Jesus, he transfigured himself as he pleased and thus he ascended to him who would send him deriding them. So the Gnostics said, well, you know, Simon who was carrying the cross of Jesus, he was actually transfigured to look like Jesus and Jesus was transfigured to look like Simon and Jesus stood in the crowd and he laughed at what was going on and it was taken up to the Father. But there's this repulsion that Jesus Christ of Nazareth should be crucified for sinners. Based upon that early Gnosticism, later Islam, even though they accept the humanity of Christ, they would follow Gnosticism in denying the crucifixion of Christ. Here's what the Quran says. 
They said in boast, we killed Christ Jesus, the son of Mary, the apostle of Allah. But they killed him not, nor crucified him. But so it was made to appear to them, and those who differ therein are full of doubts with no certain knowledge, but only conjectures to follow. For of a surety they killed him not. No, Allah raised him up to himself. Allah is exalted in power. And so Islam sort of follows early Gnosticism, not denying the humanity, but denying the crucifixion and that something else really happened there. Someone else really died there. And there are some Islamic interpreters who clearly accept the Gnostic explanation that Simon of Cyrene took on the appearance of Jesus Christ. And you could go on and on. There are multiple attempts to deny or to explain away the significance of the crucifixion of the man, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Because depraved hearts, my depraved heart, apart from the grace of God, rejects the idea that I am so sinful and helpless that someone else must die in my place. And yet Romans 5 is so clear. It's by one man's disobedience that many were made sinners. That was Adam. And so by this one man's obedience, Jesus, many will be made righteous. And this one man's obedience, the, the ultimate act of obedience, Paul said, was that he obeyed even to the cross to die in the place of sinners. When the angel appeared to explain the pregnancy of Mary to Joseph, remember he said, you will call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves, for he shall save his people from their sins. Yes, Peter says, you crucified Jesus of Nazareth, but God raised him from the dead. This perfect man, this real, truly human man, the second Adam, God raised him from the dead. He, dead. he was born as a man. He lived as a man. He died as a man. He rose again as a man. At the same time, always truly God, but as a man living and dying and rising again in our place. It's as a man that through his life and death and resurrection, he becomes the only mediator between God and man. Listen to how Paul put it. In 1 Timothy 2, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Amen. Truly God, 
but he comes incarnate to live as a man, to die as a man, to rise as a man, to be our Lord and our Savior. And Paul went on to say, it's for this that I was appointed a preacher and an apostle to declare that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There is no way that any of us will boldly and fearlessly advance the name of Jesus Christ unless we come to grips with the uniqueness of this person represented by this name. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, incarnate, crucified, risen again. But secondly, look for a moment with me about God's plan associated with that name. Since the creation of the world and before the creation of the world, God has determined to center all of his purposes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Paul quotes from uh, first or from Psalm 118, a psalm that uh, we sing at times, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And as you've heard me say many times, but you've forgotten, so I'll say it again, uh, that that day is referring to the Lord's day. Of course, God made every day and we should rejoice in every day. But there's something special about this day. Because this day commemorates the day when the stone which the builders rejected, God made the head of the corner. When they crucified Jesus and God brought him out of the grave to exalt him above all things. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It was a plan that was announced prophetically over and over again. Psalm 18 is a thousand years before Jesus Christ. But prophecies go back all the way to uh, the Garden of Eden when the first curse comes uh, upon Adam for his rebellion and his sin. It's a plan that is rooted in the prophetic word of God. And when you read Matthew's gospel, who writes to the Jews about Jesus the Messiah, you will often read the phrase, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophets. That this Jesus is bringing to pass, he is fulfilling the plan of God that was prophesied and predicted in the Old Testament. It was prophetically announced. God's plan, he knew, would be publicly attacked. He says that you builders rejected this Jesus Christ. You took this stone that God was intended to be the cornerstone that he would build his holy temple around in which he would dwell. You and I are that temple as we are united by faith in Jesus Christ. God intended that Christ would be the one that would be that cornerstone. But he was despised and rejected. I think about this Jesus of Nazareth. I imagine that up until the time that he began to preach, that 
the kingdom of God is at hand and began to preach the gospel. I imagine that up at that time, Jesus was well liked. He was good. He was perfect. He loved his neighbor. He loved God. He lived obedient. He had a righteousness that exceeded the righteousness of the Pharisees. He never did anything wrong. Never cursed at anybody. Never hurt anybody. Was never unkind. I mean, everybody would love a neighbor like that. You pray for neighbors like that. But when John saw him coming to be baptized and said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that voice from heaven which said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And then the words of Jesus that said, I am the door, I am the way, I am the shepherd, I am the bread of life, I am the living water, I am and no one else is. Amen. Then he's despised and rejected of men. He was an outcast of the religious political structures of the world he entered. And he didn't give himself to accommodating those existing structures. He spoke to their evils. He called men to repentance, to the transformation of character which the Spirit of God alone could bring. He did not he was not conciliatory with the Pharisees and other false religious systems. If he were living today, he would decry unbelieving ecumenism and Romanism and Judaism and liberal Protestantism and Islam and Eastern religion. He was not interested in finding a bare minimum upon which people could dialogue and find some agreement. His message was one word. One door, one shepherd, one bread of life, one Jesus. He is the stone the builders of the world rejected. He was set aside. He did not fit into the power structures of his day. His method of transformation was not through existing political and economic and religious structures, but through redeemed men and women creating a new redeemed society, the church of Jesus Christ. This is the name we proclaim. Not just the good Jesus who makes you good, and he does make you good. But the Jesus who alone is the Savior for sinners, who dies in the place of sinners, this name that is despised and rejected of men. Amen. Remember his last words to his disciples. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as, as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they'll keep yours. 
but all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Later John would write in his epistle, Don't be surprised, brother, that the world hates you. The truth is, if you want to get along in this world, if you want to be applauded and approved and accepted, then don't claim that Jesus Christ is the only Savior of the world. Don't identify with this Jesus of Nazareth who is incarnate, crucified, and risen from the dead. Don't call men to repentance. Don't tell them they're wrong. I remember in my three uh, debates, dialogues, uh, conversations with Turkish Muslims in, in, in Queens that the groundwork for our for me asserting the exclusive claims of Christ, which I would do, and, 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 and uh, I, would, I would tell them, you know, I'm your friend. But as your friend, I will tell you the truth. I will not deny what I believe about Jesus Christ. And if you can have a friend who believes you're going to hell, we can be friends. Because you probably believe something about me like that. I used to have a neighbor in Palton Village that I would often have conversations with telling him that he needs Jesus. He was an ordained Presbyterian, Buddhist, Quaker, quite a mix. And I'd t he'd look at me and say, John, do you really believe I'm going to hell? Because he was a good neighbor. He was kind, he was gentle. And I would say, without Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. One of the times we met, he said, you know, I was with all of my, uh, my buddies. We have a reading club. We read a book each week. And he said, I was telling them. He says, you know, I got a neighbor, John. He thinks I'm going to hell. Ha, 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 ha. I said, Brad, it's not funny. You are going to hell. Because without Jesus Christ, there is no other name under heaven. And I'm sure that many Christians realize the hatred of the world for this exclusive claim of Jesus Christ. And many Christians consequently have been intimidated into silence. Too many of us are like Peter, warming ourselves by the fire with the haters of Jesus and denying his name out of fear. Intimidated into fear. 
David Jeremiah offers some good advice for those who are living in a hostile culture, and that's you and me. And let me say, if you're going to listen to Christian TV or Christian radio, then listen to guys that love the Bible. You know, not Joel Osteen, not Creflo Dollar, you know, not... You know, listen to the John MacArthur's and the David Jeremiah's and the John Piper's and the Adrian Rogers, those who believe the Bible is authoritative in the Word of God. And David Jeremiah says this, these four things, if you're going to be a witness in a hostile culture, he says, first of all, be convinced of what you believe. That's what I'm talking about this morning. Is Jesus Christ the only Savior for sinners and Lord of all? Be convinced of that. Secondly, he says, ask God for courage. Thirdly, he says, depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. And fourthly, he says, trust God to use your feeble witness. It may not be powerful. You may not be the most articulate, but you are not going to deny the name of Jesus Christ. Later in this chapter, we read the account of the boldness of the apostles and the disciples. And after they had remembered, after their persecution and their pain, they remembered the words of Psalm 2, which predicted how the nations of the world would be against uh, the Messiah, the Lord, the, 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 the Son of God. And they prayed as they remembered those words at the end of chapter 4. They said, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word with boldness. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Amen. Be convinced of what you believe and ask God for courage and depend on the power of the Holy Spirit and trust God to use your witness. But that plan that was prophesied and rejected, God's plan is perfectly accomplished. Peter says, this one, you builders set aside, he is become the head of the corner. You're building your, your system, your institution, your temple. And you look at Jesus and he doesn't fit. Maybe his goodness fits, maybe his morality fits, maybe some of his teachings fit, but his crucifixion for sinners his claim to be the only way of salvation that does not fit that stone goes in the rubbish pile and they went on building and God went to that rubbish pile of the tomb and the grave and he took out that rejected stone and he brought him to life and he said I am building my holy temple around this stone which the builders rejected if you believe that then ask God for boldness if you believe that depend upon the spirit of God if you believe that Trust God to use your witness as feeble as it may seem at times. 
thirdly, we proclaim this name because God's saving power is revealed in that name alone. The saving power revealed in that name is exclusive. There is salvation in none other. What else do we need? Yeah, your grandmother was one of the nicest people you ever met. And maybe still is. But hell is full of people who others thought were good and nice. But whom God knew that all have sinned. That there is none righteous. No, not one. I like the way J.I. Packer put it. He said the task of Christian mission is not to supplement ethnic faiths, but to displace them. We're not trying to make people better Hindus or better Buddhists or better Muslims with a, with a little uh, sprinkling of Christianity. We're trying to help them see that it's Jesus and Jesus alone, only Jesus. And this saving power is universal. There is no other name under heaven given among men. And that's the conclusive teaching of scripture. That there is no possibility of salvation apart from the name of Jesus Christ. And I know, I know the, the emotional pain that it causes to think of someone that I know this already died. Who as far as I know never came to Jesus. And so, denying that Christ alone is Savior often is to relieve the pain of my sorrow that if Christ is the only Savior, then there are people that I know who are in hell. And for me, there's really only two ways to rid ourselves of the burden and tension of that thought. One is the wrong way. You live in denial about the truth. You somehow tell yourself that, you know, God has some other way to save people. Or the other way is you rest in the sovereignty of God. That God is working in ways that I don't know. God's plan is greater than the ability of my mind to fully comprehend it. And I trust God. I don't understand everything. I don't, I don't understand why, you know, I became a Christian after hearing the gospel. And the guy sitting next to me heard, heard, heard the same gospel, didn't become a Christian. And I know theological systems have ways to, you know, resolve that to fit into their system. But for me, I just simply say, it's a mystery to me. I leave that with God. 
I leave it with God. But he lets us know that the saving power that's in the name of Jesus has an urgency to it. It is that name whereby we must. It is necessary. We must be saved. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, there are a couple of dangers that follow that. The first danger is that of losing your own soul. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I believe Jesus died for me. I just don't believe that everybody needs to come to Jesus. But can you really believe that and be a Christian? You believe that this one who is a liar, because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by, but by me. You're saying, I don't believe that word from his mouth, but I'll believe another word from his mouth that, you know, he dies for my sins. Can you really believe in someone whose words are not reliable? He doesn't tell the truth. Can you really put your faith in a Bible that contains a message which contradicts your belief? Now the Jesus we come to faith in is the Jesus of Nazareth who is incarnate, crucified, risen again and in whom God says there is no salvation in any other name. You're in danger of losing your own soul. And then you're in danger, secondly, of allowing others to continue on a path to eternal judgment without giving them a warning and giving them the gospel which, al which alone can save them. Recently we heard from Romans 1. Romans 1 makes it clear that the unevangelized are condemned not because they haven't heard, they're condemned because they have suppressed the truth they've already received. They've already indicted themselves by suppressing the truth. Romans 1 tells us that, that idolatry is always viewed as rebellion against God. Idolatry is not a search for truth. Idolatry is suppression of the truth. It's not an indication of an imperfect piety or an imperfect reverence. No, it's rebellion against the truth. I like what theologian, missiologist Ron Blue says. He says the conclusion is clear. Untold billions are lost. They are desperately lost. And there is no way for well-meaning Christians or conscientious believers to bridge the gap between a righteous God and a reprobate mankind. I can't do it. Only the God-man, Jesus Christ, can reach across the gulf between a perfect God and a perverse human race. If the unevangelized billions are truly lost, one burning question remains. How will they hear the unique message of hope? 
Human agents must be mobilized by the Lord to cross the frontiers that stand as barriers to gospel penetration. God has so willed, as Herbert Cain points out, there is not a single line in the book of Acts to suggest that God can save a human being without employing a human agent. How will they hear? My wanting to resolve my discomfort of conscience by, conscience by saying that maybe God has some other way to save people. Also has other implications in my life. It does not give me real uh, urgency to witness to people if I believe that God can save them some other way than, than by, the, by the name of Jesus. It affects my stewardship. It's one way to keep more for myself because if I really believe that the world is lost without Jesus Christ, I'll give more. I'll pray more. I'll be willing to do more. I'll go more. Years ago as I thought about the plight of men and women apart from Christ. And as my soul became sad, I sat down and wrote these words and I'll share them with you in closing. They probably don't come across as well in Spanish and French, but this was the cry of my heart and is the cry of my heart today. Hear the cry of anguished souls caught in sin's delusion, bound by Satan's fearful grasp, living in confusion. Cries of sorrow, cries of woe, cries of desperation, feeble cries of hopelessness, longing for salvation. Are there none who hear that cry? A painful cry of sorrow, an anguish, anguish cry, a cry of doom, a cry without tomorrow. Why do those who know the cross, the cross of God's redemption, cease to spread the story of real joy and free salvation? See the blood of God's own son shed for world redemption. See the dearest lamb of God dying for salvation. See the resurrected son. Hear his words of power. Go and make disciples now. Go in this late hour. All my life to him I give. I will go and warn them. I'll tell them of redemption's plan. Yes, today. I'll tell them. But will you? Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, incarnate to identify with us, lived a perfect life, crucified in our place, risen to be our Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving us in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Forgive us for our fear, for our being ashamed, 
and intimidated. Build with us, within us, a deeper conviction about who Jesus is. Give us boldness to witness. May we depend upon the power of the Spirit of God to take our feeble words and feeble attempts. And may we trust you to always be at work in the hearts of those who need you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.